What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays, Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, Joe Johnsons, Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jays we got on for days. Josh, how's it going? It is that time of year again where we stop talking about basketball temporarily. Is it... It's it's not a bad thing that I get really excited about these two weeks, right? No, I love this. Okay. This is one of the highlights of our podcasting schedule. Right? Yeah. These the, the these things can simultaneously simultaneously be true that I enjoy talking about college hoops and also get really excited to not talk about college hoops for two yes. weeks. It's the novelty of it. Sure. Because if we tried to do this every week, it would be terrible. Yeah. It's it's the specialty yeah, and the novelty fair. that makes it fun. No, I feel the same way. An absolute blast. If you are new, once is this the second year we've done this? Third year? I think at least the third time in some variation. Sure. I think you're right. I think you're right. Every summer, post-NBA draft, Josh and I take two weeks on the podcast to venture into the, the sports that he and I uh, follow closely that are not college basketball. For me, uh, it is the golf world and now the, 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 the space in which I work full time. And Josh is, his is soccer hashtag touchline talk hashtag. Uh, is it still touchline talk 22 on Twitter? Or is it different now? It is we... touch talk soccer because of course, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Touch Talk Soccer, Touchline Talk on YouTube. Find it, watch, listen, read. Fantastic. But we both are deep into this, deep into those two sports. And on this podcast, we talk college hoops. It is a college hoops slash NBA adjacent NBA draft podcast, but mostly for 11 months out of the year. It is a college hoops podcast, so we don't do a ton of talking with the microphones on about those two sports. This is our opportunity to, opportunity to do so in a slightly more official fashion. Honestly, the conversations aren't all that much different than the ones we have just hanging out. But once a year, we take two weeks to turn on the microphones and talk about those sports and this is that time uh, today, Monday, July 3rd is when we're recording this one. And then we'll do Monday, July 10th will be the soccer edition of 10 questions about each sport. And, uh, and then we'll get back into, I suppose, regularly scheduled programming. But I would argue that this is regular, 100%. regularly scheduled programming at this point. So we'll at least return to the uh, more common subject matter here on the podcast. I'm ready. And okay. it, it I am I'm I'm ready and simultaneously terrified that I won't be able to explain anything <laughs> because when the commissioner of the PGA tour doesn't really know what's going on, I I feel like that gives me a pass, but still it won't it won't lend to great podcasting if I don't know anything. So We'll see how it goes, but I'm a, I'm very excited. It's uh it's absolutely a couple of my favorite podcasts every year. And I will say only six of my 10 questions are related to the merger. 
Okay. I intentionally saved a section that does not have anything to do with it. So okay. Well, all ten of my questions next week will have to do with 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 uh, with Messi and uh, Inter Miami. <laughs> so get ready. That's a lie. That won't happen. But I'm sure we'll talk about that. Are you ready for question number one? I'm pumped. Let's do it. This is the one thing I've been wanting to ask you since this whole merger news broke. And I'm going to preface it by my explaining my thought process, my thought process, and then asking you the question. Okay. It seems to me, from a the details of the agreement as I understand them, that the PGA lost this. It's not like the PGA had all of the leverage and kind of forced Liv to fold the way it all played out. Do you feel like that's the case? And if so, why in the world did the PGA not win this negotiation from a leverage standpoint when Liv has nobody watching and just money? Is it just simply the money? So a couple things. The short answer is yes, it's the money. And and the money part of this is also part of the reason why the PGA Tour wouldn't have as much leverage as you might think. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to make incredibly clear is that it's not the PGA Tour merging with Liv. And we're not supposed to use the word merge because that's technically not what it is. An entire new entity is being created. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's the PGA Tour and the PIF, the Saudi's Public Investment Fund, which is the same chunk of money that funds live. Yes. But it's not a live PGA Tour merger. It's a PGA Tour, PIF, DP World Tour venture. Yes. So to speak. So yes. just just so that's clear. Now, granted, I've been using the PGA Tour and Live in every headline <laughs> that I've put together in every podcast that we've done because that's what people are searching and that's how people are, were understanding it at first. But essentially, the PIF is just going to become a massive engine of the PGA Tour. Right. Basically have and, ownership of it, right? Sort of, sort of, yes, okay. but not in the way that they get to make any of the decisions because right, everything right. that the commissioner has said, Jay Monahan has said that we're not we're not conceding any controlling interest here. It's a non-controlling interest. Your, your question specifically about why the PGA Tour doesn't seem to have any leverage is because so they made all of these changes in response to those who left to join live to take more money to play less golf and they made changes to try and combat that to keep guys on the PGA tour and the main way they did that was through designated events Desi- designated events are still full field events but they haven't uh, a a bigger purse, right? So, for example, this week at the John Deere Classic, the purse is seven point four million dollars. I think um, two weeks ago at the Travelers Championship, the purse was twenty million. And usually, the only purse pushing twenty million wasn't even the majors; it was the Players Championship. And this year, the Players was twenty five million dollars, and Scotty Scheffler won four point five million dollars 
for winning that one event. Um, and each de- designated event has a increased purse and the winner gets $3.6 million. So these $20 million purses are, are crazy. Most of these events really were in the like, we're, we were kind of in the nine to 12 ish million dollar purse range. And there are so, still some of those smaller tournaments like the John Deere this week, like the rocket mortgage classic last week. But basically Jay Monahan said, this structure that we had created was not sustainable. Basically the PGA tour was hemorrhaging money because of this. And it wasn't something that was going to be sustained. Now this is a billion dollar operation. And there's certainly an argument that there are other poor decisions that were being made because in theory, a billion dollar company should probably be able to put that should probably be able to withhold that. But Jay Monahan has led us to believe that that wasn't the case. And kind of the the way that the commissioner has tried to spin this into a good thing is talking about the um, the longevity of professional golf and the unity of professional golf and, and, and reinforcing the future of the PGA Tour by bringing all of this money in. Okay. But but the short answer is live forced the PGA tour to restructure their model in a way that the commissioner has said was not sustainable. And so it so it it leads to a to a a joining of forces, so to speak, to put the money all in the same place. Okay. Interesting. I hadn't heard because the other thing I had heard was that there was potentially fear of what comes out during all of the lawsuits and that Monahan wanted to avoid that. There's a little bit of that too. And, and I, and that's admittedly the part of it all that I don't understand a ton. Um, it doesn't seem and, like anybody knew exactly what was in the law, but just the idea that there was stuff he might not want to come out. Yeah. You know? there, and there was a, in an anti-competition lawsuit between the PGA tour and live already. And there's also part of making that go away by joining together, which is also like saying the quiet part out loud, which is why the Senate is, which is why there is an investigation into this merger, into this, let's just use the word merger into this merger and a possibility that it's blocked that, that that's that it's not going to be allowed to go through because joining together to make an anti-competition mer- uh, lawsuit go away is kind of saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah. Question number two. Okay. Assuming this is actually a thing that happens, <laughs> what do you think it ends up looking like structure wise and kind of the reintegration of all of the live guys. Cause it seems like, and you and I've kind of talked about this a little bit off air of just this idea that there's not, there doesn't seem to really be a plan of how this is actually going to happen. It's just going to happen. Yeah. That's the most frustrating, baffling part of the entire thing is it just all kind of seems like there's been an agreement to figure it out 
and there was some framework stuff that came out last or at the beginning of last week that had some more details, like kind of framework skeleton stuff, but still a lot of it kind of seemed we'll figure it out. And that was the vibe that I was getting. This is a really interesting question because it's not a foregone conclusion that live just goes away. And I think that probably was an assumption from a lot of people when this came out was okay. The, the live guys are going to assimilate back into the PGA tour. Live's going to go away because live doesn't make any money. And the only thing that the Saudi government and the PIF wanted was to have stake in the professional golf ecosystem they didn't want to run their own tour. And you can see this based on, they tried to get into business with the PGA tour back late in the 2010s, 2018 area. And the PGA tour said no. And so this was a means to get to the end, which is really, they just want to stake in professional golf in the same way that they want stake in professional soccer and that at some point they will have stake in the NFL and all of the things that they're trying to do to a sports wash and B diversify their portfolio because the thing that makes them all the money is slowly, but surely uh, increasing in importance and eventually will will decrease and that's oil in a, to a point where they have to diversify. And that's what most of this is what this is all about is them diversifying their portfolio. So really they just wanted a stake in professional golf, but at the same time, you know, Greg Norman, who kind of seems to be the oddball here, Greg Norman, Greg Norman being the commissioner, leader, CEO, whatever of, of live saying, Liv's not going anywhere. Now, Greg Norman doesn't really seem to know what he's talking about ever. So take that with a grain of salt. But it's not a foregone conclusion that's going to go away. And part of what we learned in the framework at the beginning of last week was... So the framework considered this, you know, referred to this new company as NUCO. So it said NUCO will undertake a full and objective empirical data-driven evaluation of live and its prospects and potential and will make a good faith assessment of the benefits of team golf in general because that's that's probably the way that live lives on is my guess would be not in a official live capacity because live hemorrhages money they spent a quarter of a billion dollars on something that doesn't make any money So I, I like it, it doesn't make sense for a comp, for a for-profit company to keep funding live it just doesn't unless there's this massive media deal that includes live that includes the PGA tour that it kind of turns into this you you want CBS hey do you want to 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 carry the rights to the PGA tour okay you have to carry the rights to live golf too um I would assume it goes away, but beyond that, I've got no clue. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely none. Because there was this, you know, they restructured it for 2023. Then they restructured the way the fall schedule works and the way that designated events will work next year. But if they can't sustain it and 
in theory, all of these players are assimilating back into the PGA tour, which they've mentioned, well, there will be a, there will be a fair and objective process for any players who desire to reapply for membership with the PGA tour and the DP world tour. Um, but I've got I've got no idea, and I don't think Jay Monahan knows either. Because I mean, we're going to keep playing golf at the beginning of twenty twenty four, I think. But I have no idea what it's going to look like. Like I know the four majors are going to be there. Beyond that, you could tell me anything was going to happen, and I'd <laughs> give it a chance of of being true. Okay. Question three. Speaking I always feel again. like I ramble on these podcasts. So tell me to <laughs> shut up whenever. It's like, hey, you already said that. Okay. Well, no, I think that it's important to understand just how confusing this all is and how unclear. It's not like there was a there's a plan in terms of here is how this is going to happen. It's just kind of we're going to figure it out, like you've said. So <laughs> I appreciate you kind of laying all of that out. Question three. Again, talking about Jay Monahan, the the guy that immediately comes to mind with this is obviously Rory. Mm -hmm. You had this set of guys, particularly Rory, who really went to bat for the PGA Tour, who kind of were the the people saying, live is not the the way to go. I want Mm -hmm. to continue to support the PGA Tour. I want to play in the best, you know, play against the best, all of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, this happens out of nowhere, and those players were not consulted with this agreement at all. And so Rory's kind of sitting here going, I just went to bat for you for a year. And yep. now, all of a sudden, this has happened. What? And, and obviously, there's going to be no specific answer to this. But what do you think the ramifications of the way that this went down are going to be, however this ends up turning out, with those players, guys like Rory, who have to be furious right now that this all happened behind their backs. Because I'm almost to a point where if I'm Rory, I want no part of a entity in which Jay Monahan still has a major leadership role after what he did to me. Do you feel sure. like it's going to get to that point? Are they going to get over it? What is kind of your thoughts and, and the vibes around the players who did so many favors for Jay Monahan to help the PGA Tour kind of compete quote unquote against live and kind of fight back against live now having all of this happen. It's a really good question and a really interesting one for, for a couple reasons. The first is I'm sure Rory is, is furious and feels like he got played. Yeah. And he said, he said so after all of this came out, it's hard to feel like I didn't get played. Like I wasn't a scapegoat. Like Jay Monahan wasn't marching me out into in front of reporters for a year, all to do this behind my back. Royer was also very clear throughout the entire process that his intentions were to defend what the PGA tour stood for and to protect the PGA tour. And he also said after everything came out that it's probably something he's going to have to come to terms with. 
not live. He was very clear that he says that he was very clear that he still hates live. That was, that was the quote. I still hate live, but there was very much a, a message of, I want the PGA tours longevity to be as solid as possible. And I thought that live golf was something threatening that. And I didn't want, and I didn't understand why, Everybody who had everything that they had, they owed to the PGA Tour, the amount of money they make, the, you know, everything that they, the way they treat their players, which regardless of what anybody says, they treat them pretty darn well. And he, he acknowledged that if there's backing from the PIF, that's probably ultimately a good thing for the PGA Tour from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's that. The other part of it is that because of this new venture, if you want to play golf at the highest level in the, on the planet, you're going to have to play on the PGA Tour. You're going to have to play for Jay Monahan, under Jay Monahan, with Jay Monahan, whatever preposition you want to put there. You don't really have any choice. And get paid with Saudi money. Right. Because that's the yeah. other part of it to, that I'm curious about what you're saying with Rory there of kind of defending the integrity of the PGA Tour. To me, part of that was the, for lack of a better term, purity of it. Sure. Right. And now you're dealing with those. Is that part of it too that you're now, whether he likes it or not, there's nothing he can do about it. Right. The, the PIF is an integral part alongside Jay Monahan and now supporting his professional career. That's correct. So if Rory wants to continue to be an active professional golfer, his paychecks from tournaments are going to come in part from the PIF. It's the reality of the situation, which is which is part of why right, it went from I made a decision to stay with the PGA Tour. The commissioner, in theory, is the guy who has our interest as players, as a player-run organization. It's not really. It's not like they. It's not like they send out a ballot to everybody who's a member of the PGA Tour. There's like five guys on a policy board. To pick the commissioner. No, that help make a lot of the decisions. Like five uh, advisors and five players that are part of the player council. Oh, okay. It's it's not. It's not really a right. It's kind of like, you know, it's it's not like we decide a president in this country by just everybody votes and whoever has the most votes wins. Right. Representative democracy. Correct. And it's and every bill that goes through Congress, it's not like they send out an email to everybody in the country and say, hey, vote on this. No, no, no. There are there are a hundred people that we've decided are going to go vote on this kind of thing. Um, but the reality of the situation is that uh, is if this goes through, if you want to be a professional golfer at the highest level, it's going to involve this the Saudi PIF. It's going to involve the Saudi government. It's going to involve the 
the blood money of that government. And it's it'll be interesting. I don't I mean these are people who are who have, you know, these 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 guys have this is how they make a living, support families. So like I don't expect to see anybody retire out of the blue because they don't want to take the money. Because at this point they kind of have to, which is why it's different. There are people saying, you know, part of the reaction was, well, now Roy's just going to be okay with taking PIF money. Well, if he wants to be a professional golfer, he doesn't have any choice. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, there was a choice. Right. And I, I can't have a conversation with people who don't actually understand the difference there. So, because it's a lost cause. If, you, if someone actually doesn't understand the difference between those two things, then there's right. no point having a conversation about that. But... It's it's going to be a reality if if people want to be can continue to be professional golfers. Number four. Once again, assuming this actually happens, sure. As people are figuring out what this is going to look like, is there anything that Liv did, whether it was from a marketing standpoint, an actual tournament organization standpoint? you personally would like to see implemented or you feel like the PGA tour could improve or learn from, obviously you mentioned one of the big takeaways was the, the elevated events and and kind of redoing Mm -hmm. purses. The other thing I'm thinking about is the team aspect of live, whether it's that or something else. Do you feel like there's something the PGA tour can look at and say, maybe we can improve on this or, or tweak this or something, or is it just, we don't really want any part of the live format and the way live was operating. I think team golf is sick. I think it's awesome. I think people, I think at the same time, people, when they think team golf, they think Ryder Cup and President's Cup and those things charged by national pride and not by money. So I don't, like, I don't need there to be a team leaderboard on the PGA Tour. Maybe there's like a background thing going on and a few events during the year where there's a team leaderboard but I don't need every PGA tour event to have a team leaderboard personally, because I just, I don't think people would, maybe they would, maybe they would care, but. Is it kind of like racing? How does the team part even work where you just have teammates? Yeah. You you have an, there's an individual leaderboard and a team leaderboard. And so there's, so the teams get paid based on where they finish in the tournament and then okay. the individuals also get paid. So it's very it's very cut and dry. There's a team leaderboard with everybody's score combined and that's your oh, team okay. score. And then there's an individual leaderboard. Very oh, much okay. how the college game works from from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um I think team golf is cool. I think there's a way to implement to implement it into the PGA tour without it being an every week thing that can get people to get excited. I also think it opens up an avenue for being able to pay salaries to players, which I wouldn't be surprised if that comes around to where the PGA tour, you have winnings for the tournaments but a lot of guys are also salaried players. B- 
because there's a team tailor made and team tailor made has a salary cap and team titleist and team Callaway and team, you know, Mira and team PXG and, and, or it's team Salesforce because Salesforce bought a team, that kind of thing. I think there's an avenue for that. That's possible, but I think there's a way to 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 implement team golf in some way. That would be the primary the primary one, and the other thing I think they actually need to like they actually need to let their stars play less, which was the intention of designated events, but it didn't really turn out that way because the designated events were so front loaded this year. Like there's not a non-major non-playoff designated event left. Mm. And we've got two months left in the season Mm -hmm. and there's not another, there's the open championship in the middle of July and then the three playoff events. Those are technically, I consider those designated events because those are, elevated purse events. But the way that the schedule worked is that the guys were playing so much golf, so much golf and the designated events, like every single major had a designated, maybe not every single one, maybe the PGA championship did, but like there was a designated event the week after the masters and the week after the U S open in LA U.S. Open was in L.A. There was a designated event the following week in Cromwell, Connecticut. Usually so, they're very low profile. Basically nobody plays usually the week after majors, right? Correct. There's a very, you know, guys play because, you know, there's a, they're usually lower quality fields, but, you know, guys, some guys will play because they have won the event in the past or, you know, whatever. But, you know, like the RBC Heritage was a designated event this year right after the masters. And that seems silly to me. So um, I think the intention was there to make life easier on the stars of the PGA tour. And it didn't end up that way in the end, because of the way the schedule worked out. So uh, there's nothing that like verbatim I'd like to be taken from the live tour and implemented into the PGA tour. But I think there are, things that can be brought that combined with the actual prestige of the PGA tour could be effective. Okay. Question five. And this is more of a, not necessarily hypothetical, but harder to kind of give a definitive answer for at this point. How do you feel like the legacy of somebody like Brooks Kafka? That's the example I came up with. Not Phil, because I would argue Phil's legacy is is what it is at this point, because he was so open and so supportive of however you feel about that. Mm-hmm. There's no coming back from what Phil did, right? But then there were the trickle of other guys who haven't, who didn't necessarily, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I know I I saw some very strange Bryson DeChambeau things so he mm. also was saying weird things mm. in support of but i feel like brooks hasn't said did you come across the cnn interview he yes did? oh yes yes that's what i was referring to yeah Dude. i feel like brooks hasn't done anything that strange he just bryson wanted... is nowhere near intelligent enough to be on <laughs> cnn ever 
<laughs> and it was shown when he went on CNN. Yeah, like, it, yeah. it was bad, really bad. Just this idea of the general guys who were high profile names. So this is where I came at Brooks that haven't done anything that kind of made headlines in terms of supporting Live and supporting the PIF, mm-hmm. but just chose to go to Live. Now coming back, how do you feel like that impacts his legacy if he? ends up rejoining the PGA tour here. It's an interesting question. And, and Brooks is an interesting example in particular for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's pretty clear that he left the PGA tour when he did, because he was really concerned about his, he, he, he was having a, he was having a competitive crisis. Competitive crisis, meaning that he wasn't, and and it's very, very black and white in the, the the Netflix documentary about how he wasn't sure he could compete with the Scotty Schefflers and the John Roms of the world anymore. He was also dealing with injuries, which he was dealing with injuries before that, which is something that kind of gets misconstrued that he was hurt when he left to go to live, which is not the case. He had a bad major year last year and was in the midst of a bad major year when he left to go to live. But it was two years ago that he was injured the 2021 year. And he almost won all four majors, you know, when any of them, I don't think maybe that was a lie, but he, he had a really good 2021 major season and not a really good 2022 season when he was healthy and then went to live. So that's that's a misconstrued a little bit. But as for his legacy, he, I think Brooks is one of the best majors players that we've seen in a long time. I mean, winning five majors is crazy. Like when you look at the list of players who have won five majors or more. It's not very many people. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. It's like like 15. (laughs) And I think he's, I think he's the, like, I don't think anybody playing right now is going to get to 10. But he's probably the best. He's only won on the PGA Tour nine times, and five of them are majors. So I think Brooks in particular, I think he was quiet when he went, was quiet the whole time. When he showed up to majors, he wasn't wearing. If you notice, when he shows up to majors, he doesn't wear live stuff. Other guys are high flyers, crushers. There's some logos. Dustin Johnson is usually wearing four aces on his shoes or on his on his shirt. You You won't see any live memorabilia on Brooks Kepka at majors, which I think is interesting. I think if you told Brooks a year ago that he was going to be in this form at majors in 2023, I don't think he would have gone. I think, I think I believe that because I think he went with the feeling he was trying to protect himself from the idea of he might've just lost what he had and he wasn't going to get it back. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think he has a chance to like, and and I think he's like 32, maybe. Brooks is 33 years old. Like, I think he could win three more majors. 
He could win more than that. Like, I wouldn't be stunned. But, like, he could get seven, seven or eight, which is crazy. And anybody who gets that many majors, save Phil probably, because, I mean, Phil won a major at the age of 50, and it just doesn't really seem to matter anymore. That I think a guy like Brooks, his legacy will still end up being how elite of a major player he was. And guys that so loudly stamp their flag on live is are the guys that are going to have it kind of follow them around no matter what. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like if he comes back to the PGA Tour from a kind of player relationship, friendship standpoint, that it'll be pretty chill? If you take yeah, I, the extreme examples out, but just somebody who kind of chose to take the money, didn't make a big deal out of it and just kind of did their thing and then is coming back. Yeah, I think the rivalry between PGA Tour and Live players is a little overblown in general. I think it's one of those things that looks really, really good in a headline. Cam Smith, you know, paired with Rory McIlroy in the first round of the Masters, Live versus PGA Tour. Sounds really good. Um, It's probably, I mean, there's probably a little bit of like side-eye going on, but... I think it's mostly an overblown thing. Okay. And you saw that at the majors. I mean, it's not like there was like the live guys over in the corner. And, you know, I think there was a little bit of a olive branch extended. Cause I think Rory and Brooks played a practice round together during the masters. Like, I don't think either side is interested in hating the players from the other. And I think that's what you'd see. I think the week to week interactions of the players would would uh, exclude live pretty quickly if everybody was back in the same place. Gotcha. Question six, final question related to all of the development. Sure. Assume again, assuming it looks ends up looking something like whatever this vague proposed idea is, <laughs> who do you ultimately feel like came out the biggest winner or winners? It could be, Entities, it could be individual players. Who do you think benefits most if this new corporation is formed and the opportunity to come back to the PGA Tour and and all of these kind of ideas actually officially happen? I think there. I think there's a lot of different people that win in a lot of different ways because the thing that is clear is that like high-level professional golfers, all of them won. All of them. Because the live guys left and got paid their... I mean, like, Taylor Gooch, Scotty Scheffler has made more money on the PGA Tour this year already than anybody ever has in a year ever. Taylor Gooch has made more money than he is, (laughs) than he has this year. Do you know who Taylor Gooch is? I know the name. He's won three times on the live tour this year. He's won $4 million each time. And that's, you know, that's not including whatever he signed to go there for. And he was a young kind of up and coming PGA Tour player when he left. So I'm guessing it was pretty good. He's made like $25 million on the golf course in a year. That's crazy town. That's that's insane. That's a quarter of. Not a quarter like 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 Tigers made. I think it's like 180 million on the golf course. Hold on. Let me look. PGA Tour earnings career. 
Tiger, no, it, it one twenty. Tiger made one hundred twenty wow. million dollars on the golf course. Taylor Gooch made twenty five million in the last twelve months, eighteen months. That's crazy. That's an insane amount of money. Um, and on and the other way around, Scotty Scheffler has made like sixteen million dollars on the PGA Tour this year. That's a that's also a crazy amount of money. He's twenty third all time on the PGA Tour money list. Third all time. Sorry, not third all time. Twenty third all time. So, and this year alone, this year alone, he's made eighteen point five four million dollars. This year, like like since the beginning of the twenty twenty two twenty three season. So since September. Just on the golf course. So there's a lot of like, and if, if this, if they all come to the same place, the money is just going to continue to be there. Um, the fans were losers in the live golf, you know, schism in the schism of professional golf, because we get the, we get all the best players in the same place only four times every year. Now you can argue that it really wasn't that many more than that anyways beforehand but if everybody comes back together the fans win because those tournaments are just more fun they're cooler um and the big events like the players i mean you you know scotty scheffler did what he did and you add dj and brooks kepka and cam smith and taylor gooch and joaquin neiman who won the who won riviera two years ago by like six shots all of those guys come back and all of them are, are part of the story more often, which is, which is a win. Um, the weird thing about all of this is that most people win. Like, like at the end of the day, most people are going to win. Now there's conversations that I don't know enough about to speak confidently in about like what it means for the corn fairy tour, what it means for people who are, trying to get onto the PGA tour, what it means for the guys that have been on the PGA, you know, the type of guy that is a PGA tour journeyman that his, his goals every year aren't win the FedEx cup, aren't get to East Lake, aren't win a major there. Okay. Let's be top 125 in the, in the, the points list so that I have full membership next year again. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so there's there they, they, not everybody's winners, but like the people that people actually care about to put it bluntly, most of them are winners, which is interesting because it's, mm-hmm. I think a situation that nobody is a big fan of, which regardless of which side you're on, nobody absolutely loves the situation of professional golf right now. But a lot of the people that are involved are going to be winners. There you go. It's interesting. Yeah. All right. Number seven. Moving on to different topics. Fantastic. Let's do it. You kind of answered this, so I'm going to tweak it a little bit. Uh But Mm -hmm. I was looking at the majors list. Sure. As you kind of alluded to, to see what kind of storylines we could have here. And I was also thinking about the 10 major thing. Do So my original question was, do you see anybody getting close? I guess maybe I'll phrase it that way. I've, obviously, you mentioned Brooks has five, Rory has four, and finishes. It seems like tied for sixth every major. <laughs> yeah. 
is it, do you feel like the better, and then the second part I'll add is, do you feel like the better chances that one of those guys who's been around for a while, who has, you know, three, four, five majors is going to be the next one to get close? Or do you feel like they may get six, seven, but your next person that's going to get to the eight, nine range is a Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, just throwing names out there. These younger guys who maybe have one or two Mm -hmm. or have come close. And I guess John Rahm would kind of fall into the former category as well. Do, Do you feel like it, that that kind of next group of guys, the Brooks, the Roy, John Roms is going to come closer, or do you feel like it's a, there's a better opportunity for some of the guys who are in their early to mid twenties that, yeah, maybe have one or two that are going to kind of rack them up once it becomes less and less likely that a, a Brooks or a Rory wins, you know, five, 10 years from now. When you say close, are we talking like close to Tiger and Jack? Is that what you mean? Close to 10. We'll just make the close to 10. 10. I'm not totally like, yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think anybody is else is ever going to get to 10 like ever. Interesting. It's too hard. Rory is perhaps the most talent, like, like tiger Rory, when it comes to how talented those dudes are, like the, the, the quality of golf that Rory has played over the last 15 years is crazy town. Insane. He hasn't won a major in nine years. No. Yeah, for, for me as a casual golf viewer, aside from the fact that I know that he shows up and is really competitive at the majors, I feel like he's fallen off a cliff. Because <laughs> I just you don't hear much about him outside of the majors. It is ludicrous how hard it is to win a major ludicrous like Wyndham Clark just won the U S open. If you ask me to bet whether or not Wyndham Clark is ever going to win another major, (laughs) I'd say no. Sure. And you know, I mean, let's, let's pick a guy that's really talented that has one right now. Um, Let's see. Like, like Scotty Scheffler is, is all time level ball striker. Like like having a ball striking year right now on the level of Tiger's best ball striking years. Like actually. Not not like one of those, really, did you just compare him to Tiger? Like literally is striking the ball relative to the field as good, if not better, than Tiger did. I would not bet on Scotty Scheffler to have more to finish with more majors than Brooks Kepka, even if Kepka never won another major. Scotty's got one, right? Scotty has one. The 2022 Masters. Yeah. It's it is impossible. Like like there was a stretch from 2000 to 2008 when Tiger won 14 of his 15 majors. Sorry, 13 of his 15. I think I think he didn't win another one until 2000. I think that's right. I could look. I could just look. You know, because he won the 97 Masters. He won the 99 PJ championship. So from 99 to 2008, he won 13 majors. Like there were probably six guys every tournament that really had a chance to win the major. And it's not that cut and dry, but like David Duvall 
was like one of the best players in the world. And David Duvall was spectacular. But there are like 12 David Duvalls now. There are there are 25 guys at every major that you could talk me into winning. Like Wyndham Clark's like the 35th player ranked player in the world. He just won a major. Like he like here's the top of it. We'll just go like 20 players. Wyndham, Rory, Scotty, Cam Smith, Tommy Fleetwood, Minwoo Lee, Ricky Fowler, Tom Kim, Harris English, Austin Eckroat, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantley, Brooks Kepka, Matt Fitz, Fitzpatrick, U.S. Open winner, Victor Hovland, Bryson DeChambeau, T20, U.S. Open champion. Uh, we have you know Sergio Garcia, Masters champion, which Sergio wasn't going to win a major, but Sam Burns, T32, Joaquin Neiman, T- Cameron Young, Tony Finau, Hideki Matsuyama finished T32. I mean, I could Gary Woodland finished T49. He has a U.S. Open. Like I could go on, and what, that, that doesn't even include Jordan Spieth, who missed the cut. Uh, Justin Rose, U.S. Justin Open Thomas. champion, missed the cut. Justin Thomas, Max Homa. Like I could go on and on and on and on and on, and the the, the guys are just going to get better. Like it's it's so hard to win majors now, so hard, and. So, like, if you, it's an interesting conversation. Like, which of the active players is going to end with the most? Like, the, the the correct answer to the question that you should always pick is the guy who has the most right now. <laughs> which is why the answer. I mean, I guess you could pick Phil if you wanted to, but the answer is Brooks, for no reason other than he already has more than everybody else. Who's going to finish more, Rory McIlroy or John Rom? John Rom has two. You should still pick Rory. Even if John, even if you think John Rahm is better than Rory right now, or you think he has better chances, you should still pick Rory for no other reason other than he's already got two more. It's super, 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 super hard. I don't think it, like there are only three guys who have gotten to a, to ten, so it's not like there are very many, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Jack Tiger and Walter Hagen, and then there's two more guys with nine, but no guy. Other than Phil. So Phil has six. And Tiger has, right, the 15. There's nobody else that has played closer to today than 1996. That has more than six majors. And there's nobody after, you know, Brooks is the only one with five that has played since 1988. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's so hard to win majors. And and it, I think we're just going to get to the point where, like, for the next 20 years, there are a bunch of guys that have, like, three. Maybe not a bunch of guys. Like, relatively speaking, like, like having three or four majors is going to be elite. I mean, it, it is elite already, but it'll become more. Like, they're going to become more and more hard to get. Because there are so many guys that can win them now. Okay, it's fascinating to me. The, ma- the, yeah. the major conversation is fascinating to me because it is just so different. And part of that was because Tiger was one in all of them for ten years. Mm-hmm. But like Rory won four 
from 2011 to 2014. Jordan won three from 2015 yeah. to 2017. 2017, 2018. I think it was the 2017 Open Championship that he won. He hasn't won another one since. He hasn't come particularly close since. That was the other thing I was going to say is that's what I always think about when I watch majors with Rory now is that he's always around, right? He's always, it seems like he's always in contention heading into the final round, whether he's got a lead after 36 holes or whatever, he's, he's within striking distance, which is remarkable in and of itself. They're right. Sometimes you just have a bad week, you know, a bad Mm -hmm. two rounds and, Jordan Spieth, right? Sometimes he just misses the cut at majors because that's what Mm -hmm. happens sometimes on the toughest golf courses in the world. But even Rory being that consistent and putting, because I just, my thought process would be if you put yourself in position enough times, eventually you're just going to win one out of sheer luck. And even that, right? He still hasn't gotten one in this period, right after you did, right after the four that you just laid out. I do find that part of it very interesting, even as a casual fan. Yeah. And the secret of Rory is that he's the king of the backdoor top seven in a major. <laughs> like he'll right. he'll go out like early on Sunday and shoot sixty five. So he wasn't really in contention, but his Wikipedia page says that he got a T four. Yeah, and it's like, eh, you weren't ever really going to win that golf tournament. <laughs> like, like the the best example is the is the Masters in twenty twenty two. Do you know where Rory finished in the twenty twenty two Masters? Tied for seventh, solo second. Oh. Because he shot 64 on Sunday and hold a bunker shot on 18. It was awesome. <laughs> it was sweet. He played with Colin Morikawa and Colin shot, it was like, he shot like 66 or 65. It was awesome. They were like a combined 15 under together. <laughs> but he, like, he wasn't going to win that tournament ever. Mm-hmm. He's the king of that. Like, like last year, he finished second, eighth, T5, and third, right? In the open champion, he had the 18 hole lead at the PGA 36. And of course, the Open Championship was the one that really stung, where he had the lead through, where he was, where he had the lead through fifty four, shot a bogey free seventy, and Cam Smith caught him. Um, but yeah, it's it's impossible. It's so hard, and it's it's so like yeah, I'll be stunned if anybody else in our lifetime gets to ten. Okay. Number eight, you've mentioned him a couple times. I'm going to use your phrase. Can you paint me a word picture of what Scotty Scheffler is doing? I just feel like this dude finishes top five every single tournament and also continuing the the majors conversation. I always just kind of think, well, obviously he could win this. And then he plays pretty well and just doesn't, it seemed like, you know, he finishes tied for eighth or whatever because he had a really good tournament. He just, it wasn't Mm -hmm. good enough to win. But you just know he's going to show up every week. The consistency thing, I have no ability to contextualize. Um, okay, so a couple things. He is the perfect example of why it sucks that the way golfers are measured more than anything else is wins. Mm-hmm. You know the last time Scotty Scheffler finished off the, outside the top 12 of a golf tournament? It's got to be before this season, right? Uh, October was the last time he finished outside the top 12. In the calendar year 2023, 66 golfers have beat him. 
not 66 different ones, just like 66. <laughs> like if you add up the number of golfers who have finished higher on a leaderboard than him this year, it's 66. See, I feel his last be- his last six events, T4, T3, T4, 3, 3, T3, T2, T5. I feel like this would be the hill I would die on as a golf analyst or giving my golf analysis is this right here. Like you said about the consistency thing that this deserves way more credit than it's getting. <laughs> and, and shouts to shouts to my, my guy, Kyle Porter, who, who refuses to stop talking about Scotty Scheffler, which I love because we should never stop talking about Scotty Scheffler. Um, So, so data golf, which is a big data website for golf, appropriately named data golf has, has an all time ranking of which players were the best at their best. Right. Mm -hmm. Scotty Shuffler is fourth ever in the best at their best in terms of strokes gained. Tiger, VJ Singh in 2000, Tiger, VJ Singh, David Duvall, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm this year is actually fifth. Let me, let me see. He, he's got so many tweets. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me find maybe one more thing to, to try and help contextualize. Cause the best ones are when he, he compares them to Tiger because things like that, like it's ludicrous to, to compare Tiger's career to anybody's career at this point because of how hard it is to win. But it's not ludicrous to compare Scotty Scheffler's ball striking to Tiger. Mm -hmm. Here's one more. Since January 1st, Scotty Scheffler is gaining. So, so gaining a stroke T to green over the field and around is like ludicrous ball striking. Since January 1st, Scotty is gaining over a stroke. Like, he's gaining 3.15 strokes T to green, which seems <laughs> is... And second is Rory at 2.04. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And then you go to his... To just the stats on the PGA Tour this year. Scotty Scheffler is first in strokes gain total. First T to green. First off the tee. First approach to the green. And, like, sixth around the green. Fourth. The reason he hasn't won is because his putter usually isn't good enough. And even when it's awful, like a couple weeks ago at the Memorial, he lost two strokes putting. Finished third. <laughs> like, like he would have like eight wins. If he was just like an average putter, slightly below average putter, he would like, he'd have seven, eight wins this year. Ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous how good he is. And it's a perfect example why it's so freaking hard to win. He ball strikes the heck out of it every single week. And because his putter lets him down more times than not, at least as of late, there's just... He he keeps coming up just short. Over and over and over. It's crazy town. Crazy town. 
<laughs> At least he's getting the money. And you and also if you told me that he's gonna win four the next four tournaments he plays in. Like if you told me he was gonna go win the open and then win two of the three playoff events, I'd be I, I wouldn't bat an eye for a single second. Mm-hmm. It could happen. Like like he might go on this like little mini run to end the season where like if he just gains strokes on the greens, just like not even, just like just like break even, he'll probably win every tournament that he plays. It's crazy. It's ludicrous. It's a good lesson on the importance of your putter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's my analysis. Chair. Number nine. Let's talk about our girl Rose Zhang. Oh, she's so good. I'm so in. <laughs> so obviously it's difficult to compare kind of the men's and women's game just with all of the the variance between the two. But, you know, she outperformed from a pure win standpoint, a pure performance standpoint. She outperformed Tiger at Stanford. Then she said goodbye, won her first tournament, and then finished Mm -hmm. top 10 in a major. That is Mm -hmm. her professional career so far. Correct. (laughs) Do, Do we need to... Are the Tiger comparisons and kind of just putting it as in this is the only thing we have to compare this to? Is that fair? Is that the correct way to approach what she's doing? I think so. I also think that she has a chance to completely change... Like, you know how you, the way you talked about Sabrina Ionescu? Mm-hmm. Like, that's Rose from a From a completely changing the way people think, look, and watch women's golf, I think she has that potential. I think Rose Zang is the best amateur athlete ever, full stop. Mm. She won literally every big <laughs> tournament there is. In amateur golf, and she won 12 of 20 events that she played in at Stanford. 12 of 20. 60% win rate. 60% win rate. It's more likely that Rose Zang, and you, okay, and we add the two tournaments she's played in as professional, she's 13 of 22. It's more likely that Rose Zang wins a golf tournament that she plays in over the last, you know, three years. Then, like, it is that Aaron Rodgers completes a pass that he throws. And it's way more likely she wins a golf tournament than Steph makes a three. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Steph just makes a three. It's it's absolutely crazy. And I think... I think she understands what her place in the golf world can be not just the women's game but just golf world and and I think she she already has all the tools which is from an understanding from a mindset from a physical game like I she's got it all she's insane like she could get to 10 <laughs> <laughs> She might get to ten in three years. Yeah, that would be that would be crazy town. But 
she is she's yeah it's it's crazy because even tiger didn't wasn't this competitive right away was he kind of i mean he won the 97 masters and when did he turn pro back in the 96 i think oh okay okay and then he kind of went and reinvented the swing and then 90 the end of 99 was like when he yeah yeah he turned professional in 1996 okay um yeah she is There aren't many anticip- there there aren't many athletes like like I'm gonna use Victor Wembanyama for for example. Victor has gotten to the point where he's overrated. Mm-hmm. It might be impossible to overrate how good Zerozang is. Like actually, <laughs> like actually, based on what she's done and what it looks like she's going to do if the first two weeks of her ma- of her professional career in the, in the indication. Like, she might already be the best player on the PGA, LPGA yeah. tour. <laughs> it's crazy. And that's, like, that is, that that might be the best way to just, to, to compare her to Tiger. Because Tiger turned professional and was immediately the best player on the mm-hmm. PGA tour. And she really might be the, the best player on the LPGA tour already. Postures. she's so good and it's so fun to listen to her to, to like re- if you haven't um brendan quinn from the athletic oh i read it you read it oh Perfect. yeah so good so good from brendan and also just so like she's it's, so normal yeah she's so normal <laughs> it's so cool and if you haven't there's a no laying up no laying up is a golf podcast and just a golf media empire at this point but they they spent like a week longer than that, maybe that they spent a bunch of time with the Stanford women's golf team with Rose Zhang and Rachel Heck. And, and it's like an hour long documentary. It's the single best piece of college golf ton- content I've ever seen. So right. if you haven't, if you haven't watched that, it's, it's a very good use of 47 minutes, 45, however long it is. But, um, but yeah, she is, she's phenomenal. And she's going to get her degree while she does this. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Because of course she is. Of course she is. But yeah, I'm all in on Rose. <laughs> Number 10. I thought this would be an interesting way to end. Okay. How do you feel like your relationship with golf has changed now that you do it as a job? Man, we're opening a can of worms here. Um, that's an interesting question. Or what do you feel like you've learned about the sport? However you want to take that. It's it's definitely kind of in the same category with with how I feel about the the rest of like all of sports. Doing it every day. Like I like I I I, I love sports less than I used to. Like once upon a time. It's something that I battle with already. Um, so, so golf has kind of moved into that category as well, which isn't surprising. I was expecting that. Um, and I would go like hot and cold with playing and practicing 
golf anyways. Like I'd have, I'd have stunts where I was playing and practicing a ton and then stunts where like, yeah, it's, you know what I mean? Um, the, the biggest, I definitely like it, it. It's, it's a super cool job and it's one that I'm super fortunate to be able to do. Like ultimately we, I talk about golf all day. Like that's, that's what I get to do. So it's, it's not actually complaints, but like I get excited for the majors. I'm also stressed about the majors, which is, you know, which is a different emotion than I've used to having, right? Mm -hmm. I'm usually just really excited for the majors. This year I've been excited for the majors and also stressed out about all the moving pieces that come with the majors, which is, which is fine. But, um, I would, I would say it, it very much has fallen into that category and like, I just moved and it's not as easy to, I mean, like you have to put in a bit more effort to get to the golf course when you live in the middle of a city. So some of the, you know, those things combined, I haven't played golf in a while. Um, at this point it's been over a month since I touched a golf club, which is fine. It's not like I'm every day waking up wishing I could, this could be the day that I went and played golf. Um, because if I wanted to badly, then I would be able to make it happen. But the, the other thing, the thing I've learned about the, at least the media side of golf is, is, is how much of a grind it is, right? It's very, it's every week, six podcasts a week, because that's what our podcast does is that we're there. We're talking about every event, which is how we're different from the other golf podcasts, but we're talking about every event. And so, you know, it's been, it's also a very good look into like, Hey, do you really want to work every weekend every year? forever Mm -hmm. because that's what golf is right Mm -hmm. um i mean and and later in the year there will be times where a time where it's a little different and it's not quite like that right after after the playoffs and after the Ryder cup for you know the back the last couple months of the year but it truly it, it really is a grind and to think about you know the guys who you know whether it's the players that are playing week in and week out the broadcast people whoever it might be it is uh it's definitely a quick turnover sport and you got to get right into the next thing, but it is, it's, it's one I'm, I, I still am enamored with and, and enjoy, but it's uh it, like everything else, it can be something you're very fortunate to do and something that you really want to do. And not all of it is easy. So mm-hmm which is which might be growing up in a nutshell yeah like, you know as a kid you think <laughs> everything is perfect right right and when you get older even the things that even if you get to those things that you were sure were going to be perfect there's always like little things about them that aren't which is mm-hmm. just the way that it is oh yeah i Great miss show. radio that's the other thing too Ah, i like radio mm-hmm 
the podcast video podcasts are such a part of podcasts now, right? Having a video version of your podcast, live streaming your podcast. It's such a big part of the industry and even a big part. Like it's becoming a bigger part of like, you can go on Twitch every single day and you like, you can watch WEI in Boston every day on Twitch if you want to. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not the only one that you can do that. Um, So it's not like it hasn't infiltrated the radio space, but um, it's uh, I, there, there are aspects of the, the radio industry that I miss. That's the other thing. Which I knew was going to be the case, but still. Mm-hmm. There you go. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> 72 minutes on golf on the Jays for Days podcast. How about that? How about that? Um, that was fun. That was a blast. I, um, if you told me last year when we did this, and we there was there was live discussion last year. Yeah, we definitely talked. It was more about kind of the split and what that was going to look yeah. like. Yeah. But if you told me that's what we were going to talk about this year, twelve yeah. months ago, it's absolutely insane. Right. Absolutely insane. <laughs> there will be plenty to talk about next week, as well on the soccer side of things. I will oh, do yeah. my research. I will get. I will get into the weeds and I will come with 10 questions prepared so that, uh, so that I can sit back and relax and you can do all the talking next week. (laughs) Um, you got anything else? No. Absolute blast. Love it. (laughs) Love it. Please subscribe to the Jay's Trades podcast on Apple podcast, Spotify, and Google podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jay's for days pod. Check out the YouTube. Uh, next week we'll do soccer. And then we'll get back into, we'll have discussions about what comes next from a college hoops perspective. And, uh, but before you know it, we'll be, we'll be getting closer to preview season. Uh, and, and, and college hoops, not get too excited. It's only July 3rd, but, uh, those things will, will show up faster than, than we think they will. But we are in what stage five of the transfer portal, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I think I think I heard that you know you can test the waters the first seven games of the regular season and then get in the transfer portal and just play immediately. <laughs> so dumb, so dumb. Um, that's not actually true, but that's kind of what it feels like. Um, I'm sure there will be stuff to talk about, but next week we'll talk soccer before we get back to college hoops. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.